in London, on the banks of the Thames, near the Houses of Parliament, there is an Egyptian obelisk, flanked by two enormous sphinxes. In Central Park, in New York, there is another, and both are covered in magnificent hieroglyphics. Did you know these are real, and are called Cleopatra's Needles? They were transported from Egypt in the 1800s, with some saying the needles were the most incredible white elephant gifts of all time. Each needle was built 3,500 years ago, measuring 21 meters tall, which is 70 feet, and weighing 180 tons, the equivalent of 300 elephants. The Egyptians gifted them to the UK and the USA, however the condition of the gift was that the Brits and the Americans had to come and get them. Before we begin, I want to thank everyone who has been leaving me messages on Apple Podcast Reviews. Leaving a review is so good as it helps promote the podcast to more people. Ah, Elderton says, since having eczema my whole life and always struggling to sleep due to itching, this podcast is a lifesaver. I haven't slept this well in years. Thank you. Pie Patty says, Christopher's soothing voice has been such a help. From daily struggles to emptying my head at night, or menopause symptoms keeping me awake, or waking up in the middle of the night, Sneak Cove and Christopher are always there for me. Well, thanks so much for your nice reviews. I read every review which comes through, so if you would want your review read out on the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. So let's begin. The History of the Needles Decorated in magnificent Egyptian hieroglyphs, the obelisks were sacred objects, built for the sun god Ra, with the shape of an obelisk symbolizing a single ray of the sun. Obelisks were placed in pairs at the entrances of temples, so the first night and last night of the day touched their peaks. The obelisks that became known as Cleopatra's needles were made around 1450 BC in Heliopolis, which is now part of Cairo. The obelisks are made from a single piece of granite carved out of granite from the quarries of Aswan, a major source of stone for Egyptian antiquities. Both obelisks stand at a height of 21.6 meters and are inscribed with hieroglyphics which tell of the pharaoh's military victories and with dedications to the gods. The two obelisks were commissioned by Pharaoh Thutmose III for the Temple of the Sun in Heliopolis. They have hieroglyphs commemorating Thutmose III and the victories of Ramesses II 
adorning the sides. The needles stayed in place for about 1,500 years until they were toppled and buried during an invasion by Persians in 525 BC. For more than 500 years, they remained buried in sand until 12 BC, when Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus discovered and transported them to Alexandria. They were erected in front of the Caesarium, a temple conceived by Cleopatra VII and dedicated to Julius Caesar. This may explain how they individually came to be known as Cleopatra's Needles. The Romans created bronze crabs as supports for the damaged obelisks. In Roman mythology, crabs are associated with Apollo, the sun god, thus continuing the solar connection. Sometimes later, perhaps as the result of an earthquake, one toppled and was partially buried. This saved it from erosion and preserved many of the hieroglyphs. This was the obelisk that went to London. The needles then remained on a beach for nearly 2,000 years. Firstly, let's talk about how one needle ended up in London. For well over a hundred years, Cleopatra's needles have been one of London's landmarks on the embankment, but the story of how it was transported to London is fascinating. In 1819, to commemorate Horatio Nelson's great victory over Napoleon in 1798 at the Battle of the Nile, the Sultan of Egypt presented the obelisk as a gift, but the British had to come and collect it. At the same time, a much smaller obelisk had been shipped to Britain by Giovanni Belzoni, and it was anticipated Cleopatra's needle would soon follow. However, the cost and the practicalities behind the transportation of the obelisk prevented its move to Britain. For Britain, sending it overland was too dangerous, and it would need to go through countries that were not friendly to Britain at the time. The question of the obelisk came up again in 1851, prompted by patriotic interest in the Great Exhibition. With demands for its recovery, as souvenir hunters were now hacking pieces off it. Again, the cost reared its ugly head, with the government unwilling to put up the money. Puns about costly needlework abounded in the newspapers. The needle was so heavy that putting it on a ship would cause it to capsize so the obelix remained in Egypt for 60 years, until a Scottish traveller and soldier in the British army called James Alexander heard of the story and became interested in the challenge that Cleopatra's needle 
opposed to the mighty maritime empire of Britain, and he convinced a wealthy and philanthropic businessman, William Erasmus Wilson, to fund a project worth £10,000 to move the 224-ton granite obelisk 3,000 miles to London in a seemingly impossible task. John Dixon, a talented and energetic civil engineer from Durham, who had made his name building the first railway in China, was the engineer who had to devise the needles transport. Dixon's solution was to make a prefabricated iron vessel in London, take it to pieces in Alexandria, and assemble it around the obelisk. This iron tube would be like the hull of a ship, with the obelisk nestling inside, and it would be then towed back to London. To get the obelisk to the ship, they jacked it up on beams running across its bottom as the obelisk lay on the ground on its side. Prefabricated bulkheads were then built around the ship at intervals of 10 feet, then finally they built wooden beams and metal rings as they constructed the metal body. The ends were pinched and filled with 30 tons of ballast. The obelisk was now in this metal tube, and ingeniously then rolled to a dry dock, where a ship was constructed on top with cabins, a mast, walkways and a rudder. The weight was nearly 300 tons. A steam tugboat called the Olga was then contracted to sail back to Britain. The newly built ship was named the Cleopatra and was crewed by a Captain Carter. On the 8th of September 1877, Cleopatra was towed from her construction beach to Alexandria, where she met the Olga, and on the 21st of September, the unlikely pair set off on the 29th. They called in at Algiers for coal on the 8th of October. They arrived in Gibraltar for six days, and then they continued sailing, but the events took a turn for the worse. On the 14th of October, the Cleopatra in the Bay of Biscay encountered a gale force 8 storm. It lost its mast, and Captain Carter believed they were in danger of sinking. A boat was sent out from the Olga to rescue the men, but it sank with a loss of six crewmen. Another boat was successfully passed to Cleopatra by means of a rope, and the crew rescued. The Olga abandoned Cleopatra to look for the missing boat's crew without success. When they returned, Cleopatra had gone, believed lost. Unbelievably, the Cleopatra was found a few days later, 
either Fitz Morris bound for Valencia, and it was towed into feral Spain. The problem of the salvage arose, and it was quite a novel problem, for an obelisk had never been featured before in a salvage claim. Meanwhile, as negotiations were ongoing, a decision had yet to be made for where the obelisk was to be sited in London, when it did eventually arise. Finally, the salvage terms were agreed, and after refitting on the 15th of January 1878, the paddle ship Angular towed Cleopatra out of Farrell and onto Britain with Captain Carter back on board. After an uneventful voyage, she sailed up to the Thames to the East India Dock on the 21st of January. On the 30th of May 1878, she was moved to her final destination on the embankment in July. 3,328 years after the obelisk was built, it was removed from the vessel and was brought ashore into the heart of London. Her epic voyage behind her and the sole purpose of her existence now achieved, Cleopatra was unceremoniously broken up for scrap on the banks of the river. A decision was finally made for its final resting place, and the obelisk was raised into its current position on the 12th of September 1878. At its base, a time capsule of articles were laid, including a bronze model of the obelisk, written accounts as how it was transported, a portrait of Queen Victoria, Bibles, Bradshaw's Railway Guide, cigars, toys, maps, and rather curiously, photographic likenesses of a dozen beautiful English women. On the outside were placed two plaques, one to William Erasmus Wilson and the other to the men who lost their lives in the bay. It has since become a popular tourist attraction. It is located on the banks of the Thames near the embankment and is surrounded by a beautiful park that is a great place for a stroll or a picnic. The needle is a reminder of the long and complex history between the UK and Egypt, and it is a popular destination for those looking to learn more about this fascinating relationship. The obelisk has become a prominent feature of London since its arrival, and it is said to have inspired the design of the iconic London Underground logo. It is also the oldest man-made object in London, and has become a symbol of the city in its long history. The obelisk has also been the site of many public events throughout the years, from royal weddings to state funerals. It has been a source of inspiration for artists, writers and musicians, and it remains one of the most iconic monuments in London. The New York Obelisk 
The obelisk in Central Park, also known as Cleopatra's Needle, was formally dedicated on the 22nd of February 1881, after a long trip involving ships and cannonballs. At over 3,500 years old, it is the oldest man-made object in Central Park, the oldest outdoor monument in New York, and it has a story that includes ancient Egypt's Temple of the Sun, Cecil B. DeMille, the complete works of Shakespeare, and a journey for the ages. The removal of the obelisk and its transportation to New York took over a year, and was a significant feat of logistics, diplomacy, and engineering. There are a couple of different reports on why the USA received this as a gift. In the 1870s, after the Egyptians gifted the obelisk to England, the second obelisk was gifted to the United States by the Kiev dive Ismail Pasha in commemoration of the opening of the Suez Canal. Another source suggests that the needle was given by the ruler of Egypt, the Kiev dive, to the United States for remaining friendly and neutral, as the European powers, France and Britain, maneuvered to secure political control of the Egyptian government. This was an era of gifting between countries. Around the same time, France was discussing sending over the Statue of Liberty. The transportation took a long time to organise, and the obelisk beat the Statue of Liberty by three years. So there are two major monuments in New York that we associate with gifts from other countries. In March 1877, Mr. Henry G. Stebbins Commissioner of the Department of Public Parks of the City of New York, undertook to secure the funding to transport the obelisk to New York. However, when railroad magnate William H. Vanderbilt was asked to head the subscription, he offered to finance the project with a donation of more than 100,000 US dollars equivalent to $2.5 million today. The formidable task of removing the obelisk from Alexandria to New York was given to Henry Honeychurch Joringe, a lieutenant commander on leave from the US Navy. The 200-ton granite obelisk was first shifted from vertical to horizontal, nearly crashing to the ground in the process. In August 1879, the movement process was suspended for two months because of local protests and legal challenges. Once those were resolved, the obelisk was transported seven miles to Alexandria and then put into the hold of the steamship SS Desug, which set sail 12th of June 1880. The Dasuk was heavily modified, with a large hole cut into the starboard side of the bow. The obelisk was loaded through the ship's hull 
by rolling it on cannonballs, while the Statue of Liberty was delivered in around 350 pieces, with its arm first displayed in Madison Square Park in 1876, the obelisk had to be sent home, along with its 50 ton pedestal, even with a broken propeller, the ship was able to make the journey to the United States, the obelisk and its 50 ton pedestal arrived at quarantine station in New York in early July 1880, it took 32 horses hitched in pairs to bring it from the banks of the East River to Central Park, railroad ramps and tracks had to be temporarily removed and the ground flattened so that the obelisk could be rolled out of the ship, which side had been cut open once again for this purpose. The obelisk was carried up the East River and transported to a temporary location off Fifth Avenue. During this transportation, it had to go from the Hudson River on these specially built rails, rolling with cannonballs through all of New York City, and this very large object had to be guided around the grids and corners of the street system. Not everyone had been a fan. The New York Times printed a few criticisms of the decision to bring the obelisk here. In 1879 they wrote, There is no longer any hope that we shall escape the Alexandria obelisk, questioning what it was a monument to, as well as the passion for removing Egyptian obelisks and erecting them in foreign countries. They asked, what right do we have to remove the landmarks of antiquity? But New Yorkers went wild for the obelisk. Historians have dubbed it obelisk mania and said that locals flocked to see every little stage of it from its arrival to its installation. In Martina de Alton's book on the structure, she wrote, Obelisk fever gripped the city. One entrepreneur set up a candy stand that travelled alongside the obelisk, and fashionable restaurants offered a new drink, the obelish, which was served with a needle-shaped swizzle stick. The final leg of the journey was made by pushing the obelisk with a steam engine across a specially built trestle bridge from 5th Avenue to its new home on Grey Whack Knoll, just across the drive from the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It took 112 days to move the obelisk from a quarantine station to its resting place. When it was rested, it needed a 24-7 security team to protect it from New Yorkers who arrived with chisels hoping to get a piece of the stone for a souvenir. According to the Central Park Conservancy, the site of the obelisk, which is between the then newly opened Metropolitan Museum of Art and the Great Lawn, was chosen over Columbus Circle, Grand Army Plaza and Union Square 
because placing it in Central Park ensured that it wouldn't be overshadowed by skyscrapers. Not that the city was overrun with true skyscrapers at the time, it likely also had something to do with William H. Vanderbilt, who funded its travels, pushing for that location. Jesse B. Anthony, Grand Master of Masons in the state of New York, presided as the cornerstone for the obelisk was laid in place with full Masonic ceremony on the 2nd of October 1880. Over 9,000 Masons paraded up 5th Avenue from 14th Street to 82nd Street, and it was estimated that over 50,000 spectators lined the parade route. The benediction was presented by R. W. Lewis C. Gerstein. The obelisk was righted by a special structure built by Henry Honey Church, George Inge. The official ceremony for erecting the obelisk was held on the 22nd of February, 1881. The surface of the stone is heavily weathered, nearly masking the rows of Egyptian hieroglyphs engraved on all sides. Photographs near the time show that the obelisk's hieroglyphs were still very visible. The stone had stood in the clear, dry Egyptian desert air for nearly 3,000 years and had undergone little weathering. In a little more than a century, in the climate of New York City, pollution and acid rain had heavily pitted its surfaces. In 2010, Dr. Zahi Hawass, an Egyptian archaeologist, sent an open letter to the president of the Central Park Conservancy and the mayor of New York City, insisting on improved conservation efforts. If they were not able to properly care for the obelisk, he threatened to take the necessary steps to bring this precious artifact home and save it from ruin. If you visit the obelisk today, you'll see each corner is supported by bronze crabs. These are 900 pound replicas cast from the originals. The originals, crafted by the Romans, are on display at Mamet. You'll also find plaques that translate the hieroglyphs. These were paid for by Cleopatra director and native New Yorker, Cecil B. DeMille. Miller of the CPC said, DeMille fondly remembered playing there as a boy. He was born in 1881, just months after the obelisk arrived, and in his epic The Ten Commandments, he even included an obelisk raising scene. While it's a common sight by now, the structure still holds the mystery and intrigue. Before it was erected, time capsules were placed under it. One includes the 1870 census, a bible, a dictionary, the complete works of Shakespeare, a guide to Egypt and a facsimile of the Declaration of Independence. 
The most fascinating thing is a small black box capsule that was put into the ground by William Henry Herbert. He orchestrated the funding and the transportation of the obelisk. He died being the only person who knew the contents of the box. The Central Park Conservancy confirmed this week that there are no plans to ever unearth the capsules, given the complex logistics that would be involved, given the weight of the structure. If you are ever in London or New York, why not visit these tremendous ancient artefacts from Egypt? So that is the story of Cleopatra's needles and how they ended up in London and New York. Do you think that these are white elephant gifts? And if you are ever in these cities, please visit these tremendous ancient artefacts. Thank you and good night.